Welcome to the latest episode of our podcast series for advisors considering the independent space. Today's episode is the real truth about business ownership from a $600 million ex-Morgan Stanley advisor, a conversation with Lee Korn, principal of Opal Wealth Advisors. I'm Mindy Diamond, and this is Mindy Diamond on Independence. This podcast is available on our website, diamond-consultants.com, and on advisorhub.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and other major podcast platforms. If you aren't already a subscriber and want to be notified of new show releases, please subscribe right on your favorite podcast platform or on the episode page on our website. And if you find the content in this series to be useful and know others who could benefit from it, feel free to share it widely. Like you, I've been forced to really flex my creative muscles in the last few weeks. I go to sleep each night and wake every morning thinking of new ways to add value to the advisor community we serve. And so it occurred to me that I could bring to you via this podcast, the firsthand accounts of independent business owners in the trenches. That is to hear directly from them, how they're navigating this crisis, how they're balancing work and life how they're managing an abundance of information, how they're communicating with clients, whether they think they would have fared better under the auspices of a big brokerage firm, how they see the future, and much more. So in this episode, I've invited ex-Morgan Stanley advisor Lee Korn from Jericho, New York, to join me. Lee and his partners left Morgan Stanley in January of 2019 with about $650 million in assets to form hybrid RIA, Opal Wealth Advisors. After 21 years in the traditional brokerage world, Lee tells me he's most excited about the ability to control their P&L and the ability to communicate and market in ways they never could have dreamed of as employees at Morgan Stanley or any other brokerage firm for that matter. While working from home has brought new challenges to his young firm, Lee is more jazzed than ever about being independent and has much to share about his experience to date and what lies ahead. He can certainly tell his story better than me, so let's jump right in. Lee, thank you so much for joining me today, especially at such a busy time. My pleasure. Let's start at the top. Could you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to launch Opal Wealth? Sure. So I have been in this business for 23 years. I started my career at Edward Jones in the neighborhood that I grew up in, opened the local office and spent two and a half years knocking on 100 doors a day and build my business from ground up, grassroots. At a certain point in time, I think it was 1999, I left Edward Jones and went to City Smith Barney. In 2009, I then moved over to Morgan Stanley. And last year, January 18th, 2019, I remember that date. I'll always remember that date. My partners and myself and our team launched Opal Wealth Advisors. You and your partners, Jesse Giordano and Joe Filosa, left Morgan Stanley in January of 2019, a little more than a year ago, and certainly a very different time than we find ourselves in now. We're recording this on April 8th, the end of almost week three of Corona quarantine. 
I want to spend some time talking about how you are navigating this crisis and the impact that being independent has on you and your business, but would first love for you to just to offer our listeners some perspective. So how much in assets were you managing when you left Morgan Stanley? We were managing approximately $650 million. And how many were on your team? It was myself and my two partners that are currently with me at Opal Wealth Advisors. And we had one service advisor, Catherine, and we had one full-time admin staff and one part-time that we shared with another advisor. And I think you mentioned to me offline that you just hired an additional staff member, kind of interesting timing given the crisis. Yeah, we did. Well, when we launched Opal Wealth Advisors, we added a few staff members. Um, So it's myself, my partner, Jesse, and my partner, Joe. Um, Catherine Dean, who was our group director at Morgan Stanley, is now our director of operations and chief compliance officer. And we brought over our existing staff. So Linda, who's our director of operations. Um, Gina, who was the the admin that we shared with another advisor, came over with us. We hired another full-time customer service associate. And we brought on a full-time performance coach that works with clients and staff. That works within your office, that works for you, not hired as a consultant? Correct. He's a full-time employee. Uh, He works in the office. He works and meets weekly with the staff, and he works with our existing clients and with business owners. That's amazing. That's that's really interesting. And I assume not a role you would have uh, been able to add to your team had you still been at a an employee of a brokerage firm, correct? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Okay. Let's jump forward a bit to what the business looks like today. So how much in AUM today? And I guess I'd really like to know how your clients reacted to the news of you leaving Morgan to launch Opal Wealth. Yeah. So if you would have asked me that question a month and a half ago, the number would have been different. But, you know, we're obviously <laughs> in the middle of a market sell-off. Um, you know, our we're approximately just shy of $600 million in assets. And those are the assets that are spread among our RIA. And we also are a hybrid advisor. So we have some assets on the broker-dealer side. And your clients, Lee, how did they react to the news of you leaving Morgan and... Uh forming an RIA? Yeah, that's a great question. Each client is different. Some clients were ecstatic, very happy for us, send the paperwork, let's get going. Some clients wanted, you know, give me more information. What do you mean independent? they had never heard of an RIA. You know, really there were three levels of clients or three levels of information. Certain clients it was, we've started our own independent firm. You know, we've affiliated or partnered with Schwab as our custodian here's what it means to you. Great. Send me the paperwork. Some clients were, okay, tell me what specifically are the changes. Tell me a little bit more about what that means to me. And then some clients were really granular. Okay. What are my fees? What, you know, is anything going to change on my asset management? But for the most part, the clients were very supportive. The big thing that we had to realize was the clients have busy full lives and there are things going on behind the scenes. And although when we launched we know that it was the most important thing. Time was of the essence. You know, send them the paperwork, want to get the accounts open, transfer the assets, right? We knew that the teams at Morgan Stanley, the people in our office would be calling. Um, so it was imperative for us. And we had to take a deep breath and realize that clients move at their own speed. There are many clients that there was no doubt that they were moving, but there were things going on in their lives that, you know, they said, I'll get to it next week. I'll get to it in two weeks. We had to take a deep breath and deal with that. 
But yeah. for the most part, the clients were very, very supportive and, and very happy for us. And anyone question who's Opal Wealth? What's Opal Wealth? You left Morgan Stanley, you know, a name we can get behind and understand to form what and who? Yeah, absolutely. In the initial calls, the first calls, uh, you know, we leaned on the custodian. People have heard of Charles Schwab. No one had heard of Opal Wealth Advisors. So it took a, look, a little explaining to, to help them understand what is a registered investment advisor? What do you mean you're an independent firm? Where is my money? Is my money safe? Are you a Bernie Madoff? You know, is, are my assets and my cash sitting in a bank account at Chase you know, under Opal Wealth Advisors? Luckily, we spent two years planning this and we spent months and months and months building out and scripting the answers to those questions. Um, so we were as prepared as you could have been and still not prepared enough. But in the early days, we felt comfortable and leaned a lot on the custodial name. Got it. And tell us just a little bit about the kind of clients you serve. I know you offer a unique investment approach with four core model portfolios. So can you tell us about those clients and that investment approach? Sure. We have a, a very varied clientele. Um, our clients are entrepreneurs, business owners, retirees, pre-retirees, executives. Um, but I think there's one core theme that resonates with most of our clients, which is most of our clients have busy, full lives at whatever they're working on. Most of them probably could figure out investments, planning, do it on their own. Yet there's so much information out there and they just don't have the time to do it. So clients come to us to help guide them through that. In terms of specific expertise, we do work with a number of entrepreneurs in exit planning, which is helping owners understand the value of their business, helping them understand how to build a transferable business, getting that business ready for sale. And we've actually helped a number of businesses over the last decade exit, you know, go to fruition. Okay. Let, thank you for that. Great perspective. So I want to focus a bit on current times, navigating this unprecedented health and financial crisis. So... First question, how busy are you? And I guess, how do you spend your time these days? <laughs> these last three weeks? <laughs> very busy. I get up very early. You know, there's a lot of data, a lot of information to read. Usually start reaching out to clients around 830. Um, my days are filled with dealing with staff and internal issues, dealing with clients, reaching out to clients proactively, handling client inquiries, and working on a number of business issues. I would say I have a very busy, full days uh, these last few weeks. Yeah, I'm sure. A lot of advisors are telling us that they feel like they're drinking from a fire hose, trying to balance communication with clients and running the business, but also absorbing massive amounts of information from multiple sources to stay ahead of it all. Does that sound like a reasonable description? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's no shortage of information. Um, I can't tell you how many PDFs, webinars, internal communications I have received. I probably received 300 emails a day. So there's no shortage of information. There's no shortage of someone willing to give their perspective. Probably are reading five or 10 different <laughs> PDFs, listening to one or two webinars every day. And from where do you get your information, the most meaningful information that helps to sort of inform your conversation or perspective for what you'll share with clients 
during the day. And I ask because if you were still with Morgan Stanley, you'd get that information from Morgan Stanley, presumably their research department every day would send you information to read and that would inform largely your communication with clients. But one of the main questions is, especially in a crisis, where and how do you get the information you need? That's a great question. Um, That actually goes back to a question you asked earlier that I didn't fully answer. You had asked about our investment philosophy and how we manage money. And this question kind of leads to that. So when we launched Opal Wealth Advisors, we knew we had to be committed to investment excellence, right? A lot of the large firms, whether it be Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, they have hundreds of individuals, teams that are dedicated to giving you their perspective. Um, so when we launched, we knew we had to replace that. I mean, I, you know, my partners and I have been in the business for 15, 20, 25 years. So we're certainly not novices, certainly ha- have a number of resources that we can go to. But when we launched, we formed an, an official investment committee. And not only is it comprised of myself and my two partners, we actually brought outside consultants to sit on that investment committee. Um, these are pension and endowment consultants. They manage money for some of the largest institutions in America. Um, and when I say manage, they consult, they do research. Um, And rather than just having one perspective, right, so if you work for Morgan Stanley, you have one perspective, their thoughts on the markets, although lots of different individuals in that organization, we felt that we wanted to continue that. So rather than having one view, our our outside consultant uh, and us, we get research from 25 different firms, firms like Bespoke, Strategis, where there is no conflict. They are just there to give data, to give perspective. Our committee then culls through all this information and determines how is it going to be applicable to our clients' portfolios, right? So it's building asset allocation models. It's also doing manager research. That leads me to answering your question that you just asked, which is, where do we get our information with the absence of being part of a large organization? There is no shortage of information out there. That was one of the things that concerned me initially when we started thinking about launching an independent firm which is how are we going to be able to replace the resources of a big firm? What I learned was there are there is tremendous amount of resources, everything from investment consulting to financial planning to operations to compensation structures. There is a whole industry or sub-industry that has arisen over the last few years dedicated to ensuring that if you launch an independent firm, you're not going to skip a beat. So as we were building Opal Wealth Advisors, we interviewed probably hundreds of service providers and filled in and built an outsourced team of all experts. So, you know, every day, if it's investments, we're getting research from, again, firms like to be spoke, strategists. We're getting information from our investment committee and our outside city member of the investment committee. We're getting information on financial planning. We're getting information on tax. We're getting information on estate planning. So there's no shortage of information. The best part about that information is there is no hidden agenda. It is completely independent. We're not paying these individuals. Some of, some of the individuals we are paying. Um, but there's no ulterior motive or hidden agenda. Well, I think what you're referring to, Lee, is in general, is this enormous ecosystem that's been born to support the breakaway advisor. So people like you who chose to leave a traditional firm, who don't want to miss a beat, who want to be able to offer everything and then some to their clients without missing a beat. 
and that ecosystem, part of what you're talking about is the research that's available to you now in a crisis and in general. So I, I think that that makes really good sense. Absolutely. And I, I want to come back, we'll come back to in a little while, the sort of where do you get the support and how do you do it all, the breakaway journey itself. But I do want to stick with sort of navigating the crisis for a minute. So what are you hearing from your clients? How often do you communicate with them and how um, have they come to just accept these crazy volatile market conditions? Was it you know harder at the beginning than it is now? What does it look like? Yeah, great question. I think initially uh, when the markets started their volatility, you know, if you look at uh, beginning of March, to see a market move 10% in a day, I don't think there are many investors that in their lifetime have seen that. Maybe, you know, 1987, but to see that type of volatility in such a short period of time, it was a little numbing. Um, it was fast and it was furious. But, you know, by the time you get into week two or three, after 5% up, 5% down, 7% up, 7% down, as crazy as it sounds, I don't know whether it was clients were numb to it. They kind of expected it. But this crisis is very different than, you know, I, I've been around for a number of years. So 2008, 2002, um, 9-11, the 1999 tech bus. This is different. You could probably only compare this to, and there's probably no one alive <laughs> to talk about this, but, you know, the Spanish flu, the 1918 crisis. This is a health crisis. This isn't a financial crisis. This isn't like 2008 where the banks were going out of business. This was the federal government hitting the pause button on the economy in conjunction with a virus that, you know, although there's been a tremendous amount of, uh, there's been a lot of movement, there's been a lot of progress, there's still a lot of unknowns. Every day you turn on the TV and there are more cases, more deaths. Um, I'm in New York, New York State, I'm in Long Island, but not New York City, but that's kind of the epicenter. And people not only are dealing with the volatility in their portfolios, but they're dealing with a crisis of, uh, you know, a health issue. I think in the early days, it was just something that you turned the TV on and you said, yeah, it's like the flu. Now, most of the people that I know, know someone that's been impacted, someone that's self-quarantining. And yes, we will get through this, right? This, we're going to be, there is light at the end of the tunnel and we will get through this. And while you're in it, it's not just clients looking at their portfolio. It's dealing with themselves, their health issues, the fear, lockdown, quarantine, you name it. So we've increased our level of communication. Most of the communication in the early days was informing them about the markets, trying to give historical perspective, right? Because we've never seen this before, but you can, you know, Mark Twain always says history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes, right? So you can look at past experiences, you can look at other health crises and draw inferences and trying to provide that perspective, trying to look perspective, looking at the overseas markets, looking at China where it first started and drawing inference to, you know, what does it look like two or three months later? So we've increased our communication. But in the early days, it was more about investments and markets. Um, over the last few weeks, the communication with clients has been about how are they doing personally, reviewing financial plans, looking at what are things that we need to do, you know, just giving them insurance. In addition to that, you know, the government passed the largest stimulus plan that we've ever seen, $2 trillion plus dollars, and I'm sure it won't be the last stimulus plan that's passed. And there are a number of different benefits within those packages um, and helping clients understand what's applicable to them, what are the actions that they can take, right? Rather than being reactive, how can we be proactive? 
Do they qualify for rebates? Are they taking minimum distributions? What are the strategies that can help them? Are there, you know, if they own businesses, we've, we've talked to a number of clients about should they apply for the PPP loan? Um, how should they apply for it? You know, one of the things I talked to you earlier about how, you know, we're doing a webinar now, I did my first two webinars. One of those webinars, the day after the stimulus plan was launched, the next day we did a webinar informing our clients about all of the benefits, how it's applicable to them, whether you're an individual or whether you're a business owner. So speed to market, it was great. But most of the conversations that we're having over the last few weeks are more around planning, more around the stimulus plan, more, what are the things that they can do? And really just being with them, being with them in terms of people are dealing with things other than their portfolio. I think that's absolutely right. And what we're hearing from many that the over communication, the abundance of communication is key because unlike 2008, where it was purely a financial crisis, people were worried that they wouldn't, you know, their retirements would go out the window and whatnot. And it was only that. Now it feels like, just speaking for me personally, I don't even think about the markets during the day. I think about, you know, who I know who's been affected by this and how are they dealing with it and making sure that I'm doing everything I can to keep myself and my family safe and all of it. And I think that one of the things we predict is that the advisors that really over communicate that are with, I like the word, you know, the term with their clients during this, holding their hands and nurturing relationships are the ones that are going to really, when, when this crisis passes, really be the ones that thrive. Absolutely. Anytime you have a significant event, you only know in hindsight, we'll look back and say, maybe it's going to be, can you remember that when uh, we go to a meeting, we used to shake hands with someone? I mean, I remember when you used to go on an airplane, you know, when you used to go to the airport, you could walk to the gates, not go through security and meet your friends when they're getting off the plane, right? That seems ridiculous now, but that used to be the norm. There will be changes that occur from this crisis and you'll only know in hindsight. But we will get through this. I mean, markets will recover. There have been many instances. We, I mean, people forget in 1918, you had the Spanish flu and, and people ask, well, the markets never came back. And then I try to remind them of, you ever hear of something called the roaring 20s, right? So, so markets will recover. But I think from a psychological aspect, I think people are dealing with a lot more than just their portfolios and the market. Uh, unequivocally. So you just mentioned something, you use the term speed to market. And you mentioned, you know, on the fly preparing two webinars that the day after the stimulus package was announced, you had done a a webinar. Let's talk about that for a second. I know you're a major fan of the Los Angeles-based marketing firm that you hired, but what kinds of things are you doing from a marketing perspective now? And probably the word marketing doesn't even sound good, more client nurturing, client communication perspective, and maybe it's marketing as well. But talk to us about those things. Sure. Um, so we are a big fan of our, our marketing firm. Um, I'll give them a, a little plug. I mean, it's Fahrenheit. They're based out of L.A. Dylan and Bob are amazing. So what are the type of things that we're doing? You name it. We're doing webinars. We're doing uh, social. We're doing blogs. We're doing email blasts. We've never been as active now than during my whole career. And speed to market is amazing, right? We have the ability when something is occurring that affects our clients, that we think we have the resources to help them, we have the ability to 
dream it up, coordinate with our marketing firm, brainstorm, and then get it out to market within a day or two. Obviously, it has to be compliant, but that process is expedited significantly. When we were doing our year-end review, I think I counted, we had done hundreds of social media posts. We had a few dozen blog posts. We've had a number of articles. We've had a couple of webinars. I mean, tremendous activity. And it's yes, it's marketing, it's branding, it's expanding our reach to our clients and future clients. Do you have a sense of the kind of impact those creative efforts, the the webinars, the social media, the writing the articles, the emails, do you have a sense of how your clients are are responding to them? And then secondly, how about in terms of prospects? I think so. Uh, so we've had, I mean, the response from, from many clients, uh, I mean, to give an example, just recently when we put out the blog post on the PPP loans and the stimulus plan, we've had probably a dozen calls with existing business owner clients and a few non-clients, people that we've been in touch with over the years that they weren't ready to move, they weren't ready to start a relationship, and they saw the blog post on social or, or they're on our email drip campaign. And, you know, they gave us a call and said, help me with this. My existing relationship or my banker or accountant isn't, you know, doesn't have this information. So existing clients, the response has been great. Future clients, prospects, professionals, we've received a lot of emails, a lot of calls saying, I, I saw your blog, I saw your webinar, I'm dealing with X, can you help me with this? What information do you have? Some of the information we have, some of it's on the blog. Um, and you know, one of the things that we pride ourselves on at Opal is being resourceful, right? If we don't have the answer, we know where to go and get it. So it's, it's been great. Yeah. And I guess the $64,000 question of those creative marketing or branding or communication efforts, how many of them or which of them do you think you would have been able to deploy as an employee at Morgan Stanley? Uh, Morgan Stanley has a great, they're a huge machine. The big firms have huge marketing departments. That can be good and that can be bad. You know, you look at the Titanic, it, it takes a very long time to turn the Titanic. A small sailboat can be very nimble and turn very quickly and adapt. So Morgan Stanley had a tremendous marketing firm and we had lots of articles on lots of things, but it was always speed to market. It would come out a week later, two weeks later. Also, big firms, they spend a lot of money and have spent many, many years building their brand. That's what's most important to them, whether it be Morgan, whether it be Merrill or Wells, they spend a lot of money to build their brand. And they're not necessarily interested in the advisor's brand, or it's hard to distinguish yourself. You know, all you have to do is go to the website of any advisor that works at a major wirehouse. Yeah, there'll be a few specific words. Maybe they focus on this business. But in the end, most websites look the same. The wording is the same. The pictures are the same. Why? Because it's the Morgan Stanley or the Merrill Lynch or the UBS brand. When you're independent, we have the ability to create our own brand, right? And it's from the bottom up, which is client first. What can we do? What information can we provide? How can we position ourselves to give the greatest benefit to the client first? I don't think that we would be able to do that in any major firm because there would always be a conflict between the firm's brand and our brand. Yeah. 
You and I also talked, Lee, beforehand about the control you have over your P&L and how meaningful that is to you. I guess what you said, the flexibility it affords you and your partners to make necessary changes. So what can you share with us about that? Sure. So first of all, this has been a, uh, a tremendous learning experience over the last year, year and a half. You know, Working at a firm, you're a practitioner, you're not a business owner. And although we consult business owners and I have an accounting background and I understand P&Ls and I can, I can dissect one, I've never managed one up until the point where I launched my own business. Um, so it was a learning experience. Um, you know, in the past, we've learned what are the must-haves, nice-to-haves, future-haves, um, and having the ability to make decisions on technology, on staffing. You know, perfect example, you asked me about this earlier, adding staff. Right. So one of the things we've looked at is during this time, I would imagine there are very few large firms that are adding staff. Every day I go on the industry blogs and I read about how this firm is freezing wages, this firm is reducing headcount, this firm is furloughing, this firm is putting a hiring freeze. I mean, in my history, working 24 years at a firm, I can't tell you how many hiring freezes um, I was party to. Right, uh, you know where we wanted to add staff, we wanted to add an admin or a business development, and it was impossible because the firm had a hiring freeze. So the ability to add staff, the ability to add technology, the ability to direct more money to marketing is tremendous. It also comes with a huge responsibility because when you work at a major firm, when you're a practitioner, all you really have to worry about is your own personal P and L. Right, you have X amount of revenue, you get a certain payout. Your paycheck after taxes is why that comes home and you have to make sure that you have enough cash and you're doing your own personal financial planning. When you're a business owner, you not only have to worry about yourself, right? Usually it's worrying about yourself last. We have staff. We have nine people working for the firm, including us. Those individuals are worrying about, you know, am I going to get paid? Do I have benefits? Is the firm going to last? You know, there are all kinds of emotions that go through their heads. So it's managing the staff. It's also, there's a responsibility on maintaining profitability in a firm, right? So it's not just how much money can I make? Although in the early times when I hear advisors talking about going independent, it's usually about, I'm going to get a higher payout. I can make more money. Um, I thought that way in the initial stages also. The truth is, it's not that. Probably in the first year, I don't know if you're going to make more money. And usually if you're making more money, it's from profitability and you have to be responsible with that profitability. Um, you have to have reserves for your firm for times like this. You have to reinvest profit to build the firm, right? You're not relying on a large firm to make technology decisions, to make marketing decisions. So although I love it, I probably look at our P&L every day. Um, and of the three partners, we all have certain responsibilities. One of my responsibilities is financial. So one of the things that we, we decided well, late last year was we wanted to add a full-time professional management role to our team. So we interviewed a number of individuals and we've offered the job and it's been accepted to someone who's going to be our full-time COO slash chief compliance officer. I don't know if I would have been able to do that if I was at a large firm. Probably because there'd be a hiring freeze. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interestingly, 
you're jazzed, as you say, by managing P&L, the control over it, the sense of ownership, the freedom to do what you need to do to make the necessary changes. But some advisors considering going independent might be scared off, scared off by how daunting it would be to manage a P&L. As you said, you've been a great advisor, but have you ever been a business owner, run a business before? And secondly, maybe scared off by just in a crisis like this, is there security that comes from being an employee of a big firm and scaffolded by them as opposed to being an entity to yourself? How would you respond to that? It's a good question. There's a great book by Michael Gerber called The E-Myth. I don't know if you've read it. Um, yeah, and, I you have. Know, yeah, and they make the distinction between, you know, the example they use is you have a baker who's a great baker and then he opens a bakery. Um, and there's a big distinction between someone who is a great baker and someone who runs a great bakery. And I think you have to be honest with yourself. You have to really look and say, am I up for the task? Do I have the skills? If I don't have the skills, can I get the skills? Um, I think you have to look at your partners. Each one of my partners brings different skill sets. Um, so my partner, Jesse, tremendous from a marketing, branding, public speaking, training my partner, Joe, really passionate about investments, does a lot of the trading, rebalancing, coordinating with the investment committee. Myself, more on the technology and more on the financials. So if you're launching and it's just you, it's hard to be everything. It's hard to be the cook, the bottle washer, the dishwasher. But if you have a team, you have to look at each other and say, be really honest and say, is this something that I either know or can I develop those skills? Some advisors, absolutely. Most advisors, most successful advisors that I talk to absolutely have the capability to do it. Is it a little scary? Absolutely. We were probably the most prepared that we could have been. We designed everything in a test tube. And when we launched, it was like, holy cow. <laughs> you know, you, um, there's a very different experience. You can prepare for war. And when you're in war, very different. And I think that early on, we recognized what were our individual skill sets. We parsed out responsibilities and we stuck to that. And it can be scary. The first time you ride a bike, it's scary. I, I just taught my son in the backyard during this uh, quarantine how to ride a bike. And uh, first time, second time, third time, fifth time, he fell. It was scary. Now he's doing wheelies around, around the backyard. So. Yeah, I appreciate the honesty. My goal is not to have guests on to paint this perfectly rosy picture and not be honest about how hard it was and the reality. And one of the realities you speak to is know thyself, self-awareness. And self-awareness refers not only to you, but to your partners and your team. Do we possess as a whole, whether just me as an individual advisor or my team as a whole, do we possess the skills, the desire, the capacity, the creativity, the fill in the blanks to manage a business and take on all the things that we are used to getting in a turnkey manner, you know, where when we worked at a firm, we pulled our cars into the garage and we had a tech department to call and we had a branch manager to rely on and a compliance department to rely on. And when all that goes away, are we equipped emotionally, financially, from every perspective to really manage it? Right. And the best part about this industry is there is no shortage of service providers. There is no shortage of consultants. There are no shortage of roll-up firms to meet you at whatever stage you're at. 
If you want to be a great service provider, but you want more flexibility, there are firms that will help you launch. There are firms that you can join. There are firms that you can roll up into. So there's no shortage of options available. You just have to, like you said, know thyself, look yourself in the mirror and decide which option is best for you. And that's actually a great point. So that if you're self-aware and say, we've got 70% of this covered, and the desire. The desire is key. 70% of this covered. What's the 30% that either we don't possess the skills for, or we don't have a desire to cover those things? And then chances are really good in this expanded ecosystem that it's very possible to find a service provider or platform firm or consultant to fill in the gaps. And that's what a lot of folks do. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I could just tell you early on, we, we work with John Fury from Advisor Growth Strategies. He was incredible. We work with Matt Sonim from PFI. Um, we work with a number of service providers that have been invaluable to us. Yeah. So that's enough talk about the crisis, but let's shift back to the kinds of questions I would have asked you if there were no crisis and the things that every prospective breakaway wonders about. I know that you and your partners did a ton of due diligence and research before you decided to leave Morgan and launch your hybrid RAA. So let's unpack that a bit. First and foremost, what were some of the drivers, the pushes to leave Morgan and the pulls toward independence? Another great question. Probably three or four years ago, my partners and I were sitting around. We're all young, 30s, 40s. Really think about where do we want to be over the next 10 years, 20 years? What type of firm did we want to have? What type of clients did we want to work with? Um, we'd been working with business owners. You know, I mentioned for the last decade, many of those owners, we've helped them with maximizing the value of their own businesses, looking at value drivers. I mean, my partner and I were members of Vistage, which is a CEO think tank, where we would sit around with 20 other business owners and talk about issues that we were going through. Often the conversation would come to areas where we had no control over. We could talk about it and opine about what Morgan Stanley does with this or with that or compensation structures, but no flexibility. And as we were thinking about it, we were saying, let's say Morgan Stanley isn't the place that we want it to be. And I hold Morgan Stanley in tremendous regard. I mean, they, I worked there for many years. They were very good to myself, my family, my partners. But if we weren't going to be at Morgan Stanley, what else would we do? And it sent us on a process of looking at, you know, first we looked at all of the other major wirehouses and we walked away going, okay, great. Pretty much the same, you know, I'll be there for 10 years at least. They'll give me a big check and business as usual. That just didn't sit well. If we, if we were going to do that, we were going to stay at Morgan Stanley. No sense transitioning clients, putting them through everything that comes with the transition just for that. Um, then we thought, well, you know, maybe the regional firms are better. Maybe we can have more flexibility in all the areas that we've talked about at a regional firm. So we met with many of the regional firms, five or six regional firms, and we walked away going, eh, little more flexibility. But in the end, the common theme was big firm, big brand, their brand conform. You can have a little flexibility, but ultimately conform, conform to what they're doing, conform to their ultimate investment philosophies, conform to their technology, conform to their office, whatever it might be. And then we thought, well, maybe the independent space. And I had never, I didn't know anything about the independent space. I actually thought independent meant when I was at Edward Jones, because I was one advisor in an office with an admin, I was independent, <laughs> but I was anything but independent. 
So we work with a coach who coaches a number of the Barron's top 100 advisors. And he said, why don't you look at independence? What do you mean independence? So that set us on the path of looking at, you know, we looked at LPL, we looked at Hightower, we looked at a number of different firms. We looked at a bunch of roll-up firms like Focus. And in the end, we kept on peeling the onion and peeling the onion and peeling the onion. Um, And the conclusion that we came to was to be truly independent, to build what we wanted to build, to build our brand, to build a firm that was 100% dedicated to serving the client, to making the biggest impact in that client's life the way we knew how, we had to do it ourselves. And what that meant was starting from the ground up, identifying a custodian. I didn't even know what a custodian was you know, <laughs> up until three years ago. Um, I mean, I knew Charles Schwab. I knew Fidelity. I Pershing, or I had had heard of Pershing, but I didn't know the part that they played in helping us open our own business. And that set us on a two-year journey, meeting with multiple firms, multiple custodians, hundreds of service providers. And in the end, we built Opal Wealth Advisors. And it took a lot of time. And, you know, I would say the driving force was building a firm that makes the greatest impact in clients' lives, being able to be true to the brand that we wanted to build and the impact that we wanted to make, not that of a larger organization. And I will tell you that there are <laughs> there are definitely days over the last year where I think back and say, maybe I should have gone the other direction. You know, and I say that half-heartedly um, because I I love it, and I would would have I wouldn't have done anything other than what I am now. But there were certainly times where my partners and I looked and go, "Did we make the right decision?" I mean, it would be really nice to have someone handle all the technology, to handle the phone systems, to handle the you know filling out the E and O applications, the business insurance, the health insurance, you know, reporting technologies. Uh, it would have been really nice to do that, and in the end, we chose to build it the way we wanted to build it, and. Uh, I think we did a pretty good job, and I'm happy that we did. Do you feel like you missed anything then? Like on those days when you say, boy, it would have been nice to have somebody handle the E&O or the technology or helped us build it or whatever it is. Is there anything you feel you missed about not engaging a firm like Dynasty? And for anyone who's not familiar, Dynasty is the probably best-in-class service provider, a firm that essentially is built to really help breakaway advisors leave the wirehouse firm to build the firm, to manage the middle office and back office and handle a lot of those, you know, sort of the heavy lift of building and then managing. I'm a big fan of Dynasty. I hold Sheryl in the highest regard. I think what he's built is amazing. I know a number of uh, friends, neighbors that are part of teams that utilize Dynasty. We looked at them. We spent a lot of time with them. And there are times when, you know, over the last year, I've sat back and said, maybe, maybe we should have gone with Dynasty. Th- there are things that you know. There are things that you don't know. Things you know, you know. Things you don't know, you can figure out. If you know that you don't know about technology or reporting, there are X number of reporting firms. You can get on the phone with them. You can learn. The things that we worry about are the things we don't know we don't know, right? Everyone has blind spots. What are our blind spots? It's what we tell our clients. Clients hire us to help them identify the blind spots. Why? Because we've been there before. And our job is to help them avoid the landmines. So one of the things that Dynasty does for their firms is 
They help them with, they help them with, you know, what they know, what they know, they don't know. But the biggest thing I think that they bring to the table is helping them with what they don't know. They don't know. It would have been really nice. Uh, you know, we're, you know, there's an old saying, what got you here won't get you there. So I know how to build a practice. Now I know how to build a firm. I'm a year out. But our goal is to really scale up and grow our practice significantly. And we can talk about that a little later. And there are things that we don't know. So there are different ways that you can get that information. Um, We've decided to hire a number of consultants. You know, I mentioned a few, John Fury and Matt Sonin. And we hire them. We hire them on a project basis. We get the information that we need. And that's been good enough. I mean, who knows? Uh, you know, I, my partners and I talk about it all the time. Maybe there is a, a time down the road where we engage one of these firms. I don't know. But I think what it also comes down to, and I've had this conversation with a number of people at Dynasty, is are you a builder? You have to look yourself in the mirror and say, are you a builder? Or do you want to just plug into a highly customizable platform that someone else has built? For me... I was never more excited than the first Schwab Impact Conference that I attended. I walked into the Great Hall and saw a thousand different vendors from technology to investment management to risk to you name it. And my eyes opened wide because there was so much, so many options, so much possibility. Over the next two years, I talked to 100, 200 of those individuals and built from the ground up what I thought was most appropriate for our clients. Now, not every advisor, that's that's a daunting task. Not every advisor yeah. wants yeah. to do that or can do that. For example, I talked to you about our marketing firm. Well, we interviewed five marketing firms. I've never hired a marketing firm before. I had to go with my gut. But if you've never hired a marketing firm before, you're kind of just winging it. You know, and there were lots of decisions that we just had to go with our gut, not knowing whether they were right, wrong, appropriate. And, you know, there are a number of decisions that we made pre-launch that we've already changed out. There are a number of vendors um, that we replaced after a year. That's probably one of the beauties of being independent is being nimble enough to be able to go from the realization, hey, this isn't ideal. This vendor is not perfect. And actually being able to switch it out and have a new one, the speed to market idea comes to mind as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Where was Schwab in all of this, your custodian? How helpful were they in terms of helping you build, helping you launch, helping you manage, helping to identify the right consultants or the right people to surround yourselves with, resources to surround yourself with? Schwab was great. From every ask, from the um, initial, we interviewed the four big custodians. We talked with Fidelity, we talked with Schwab, but we talked with Fidelity, we talked with Schwab, we talked with Pershing, and we also talked at length with Raymond James in their IBD space. And from the beginning, Schwab was amazing. I mean, to me, it was clear that that we were going to work with him. And ultimately, down the road, we'll probably multi-custody. But for now, we're single custody with Schwab. So once we had decide, once we put our flag in the ground and decided this is what we were doing, we weren't going, we weren't affiliating with any of the other firms I mentioned before. We weren't going with any of the roll-ups. And we committed to Schwab. Schwab has their business consulting division. And a woman that we work with, her name is Kimberly Sanders, who I, I love. She's, she's amazing. She was so instrumental 
in the launch of our business. I think it was uh, in October of 2016, we went to Impact. We committed that we, this is what we were doing. And as I was taking off on the plane, I think it was in San Diego, as I was taking off on the plane to go back home, I had four emails and two voice messages saying, all right, here are the vendors that we're going to talk to. I've got this marketing firm, this technology firm, this consultant. And it, you know, she was great, right? Helping us build a roadmap because there were things that we didn't know we didn't know. She was on many of the calls with many of these vendors, and then we would debrief after. So Schwab was great. Their transition team was was amazing. They, I think they spent six weeks in our office. If we needed more people, they sent more people. Whatever we needed, the answer was usually yes. Schwab has been a great partner to work with. Well, that's amazing. And it highlights, I think in the olden days, in the early days of the RIA space, the custodian was there to provide safe asset custody and not much more. And what you're talking about is how the role of the custodian has expanded big time. And it sounds like Kimberly, who I know well, was fabulous, but also that Schwab itself was a great partner and about much more than safe asset custody, but about business consulting and transition and helping you to build a roadmap and whatnot. And that's wonderful. Yeah. Kimberly was amazing. Chad from Transitions was amazing. Christian. I mean, my staff fell in love with the, the uh, transition team. They didn't want them to leave. I think eh. they still they still reach out and talk to Mike and Doug from the transition team. So it's we were very happy with that experience. Yeah, well, that's high praise. It's wonderful. Let me ask you a couple of questions. So there are I guess, basic myths or beliefs that a lot of advisors that are interested in independence hold about independence. They're roadblocks. And I want to know to what extent they're myths and to what extent they're real and you've grappled with them. So one of them is the belief that you need to be a serial entrepreneur or have the entrepreneurial DNA of a Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates in order to be an independent business owner. So would you characterize yourself, you and your partners, as serial entrepreneurs? And I guess what role did that entrepreneurial mindset or lack thereof play in your decision? Yeah, great question. Uh, I would say, yes, my partners and I are all entrepreneurs. I don't know if we're serial entrepreneurs. The three of us come from business owner backgrounds. Our families have their own businesses or have had their own businesses. So that's what we grew up in. And we work with many business owners. I would say, yes, we had the entrepreneurial bug. Do you have to be an entrepreneur? At some level, yes, because Waking up every day, having other people relying on you for their livelihood, your staff, dealing with payroll, accounting, legal compliance, phone systems, reporting systems, custodians, vendor management. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. Um, you know, I drew up a diagram and I listed the 45 different vendors that we work with to make our business go. That takes a certain type of person to deal with that. Certain people would look at that and go, no way. And again, that's why there's this whole industry is built to meet advisors wherever they are. Some advisors, we talked to a number of advisors over the last year about joining Opal. Um, there are a number of advisors that are phenomenal advisors, phenomenal practitioners that make a huge impact in their clients' lives and want nothing to do with ADVs and phone systems and payroll and on and on and on. They want nothing to do with that. They want to know, how can I grow my business? How can I do it in an environment where I can be flexible, where I can be creative, where I can create my own brand or sub-brand? And how can I make the biggest impact in my clients' lives? You know, Regardless of where the resources are, bring everything to bear to help that client. Those are great practitioners. I don't know if those individuals would be great 
business owners. Then there's kind of a halfway, which is there are advisors that absolutely have the entrepreneurial spirit, but don't want to deal with many of those things. You know, hence Dynasty, right? Great firm. You plug into them. They have a whole infrastructure that can help you with that. And you don't have to deal with a lot of the details, right? So there's different levels. But if you're going to launch your own firm at some level, you have to have the entrepreneurial bug. If not, there's nothing wrong. There are a gazillion advisors that work for these large firms and will probably never leave because they're very happy there. Right. And they belong there. That actually brings me to the, something you touched on a little earlier, Lee, the notion of M&A, that you know, the, the M&A market in the RIA space has been quite frothy for a long time. And we actually expect that to continue even after this crisis passes, mostly because there will probably be some real buying opportunities for RIAs that, are, that have the desire, the capacity, the capability, and the capital in which to be a buyer. And what I mean by that is, we expect that there will be a lot of standalone RIAs who are either exhausted by this crisis, who just have been through one too many crises and don't want to have to deal with it going forward, who lack the scale and really felt it during a crisis, who may choose to accelerate retirement plans, et cetera. And so as a result, um, may look to sell to a firm like Opal. So let me ask you a question. What are what are your thoughts about M&A? Is that on the horizon? I mean, you're only you're a little over a year into this um, you know, business owner thing. But as you fast forward to the future, do you see uh, engaging in M&A something that would be on your radar? Uh, so the short answer is yes, absolutely. Um, you know, our, our goal is to build Opal Wealth Advisors to, you know, first step is a regional firm, you know, 100 plus advisors, um, you know, multiple offices. We've had a number of conversations over the last year, many from old colleagues, um, you know, that we know that that first were interested in, hey, why did you do it? How did you do it? Um, is, you know, I'd be interested. Tell me more about it. So certainly, you know, we would be interested in acquisition, we would be interested in roll-up, we'd be interested in hiring advisors on salary, um, you know, the whole multitude of options. But it's something that we're not only are we interested in, but it's something we're committed to. When we launched Opal, one of our consultants, John Fury, who was great, we worked with him not only on aspects of building Opal, but we worked on a recruiting strategy, we worked on an acquisition strategy and target advisors. There are a ton of advisors out there who work for these large firms, and the firms are designed for the masses, right? Many of these advisors feel stuck. There's inflexibility at these large firms, whether it be financial planning, investment management solutions, you name it. The advisors are prohibited from developing their own brand, right? So that's why their websites, their collateral, it looks like everyone else's, which is incredibly limiting. And many of them want to build teams, like I've talked about, hiring individuals to get scale for their business so that they could spend more time with their clients. But there's tremendously restrictive compensation plans with these firms. Can you imagine those advisors feeling stuck, limited, held down? We came from that world. We know how frustrating it is, right? Imagine having the desire to be creative, to go for it, to build, to make a difference with clients, and then not having the opportunity to see it through. It's, it's frustrating. You're a hundred percent right. We see that every day and it goes, it ties back the opportunity to recruit, to lift out those breakaway advisors that have a certain desire to be independent, a certain modicum of entrepreneurial spirit. They want the freedom and control and flexibility and creativity that 
independence allows, but they don't have their self-awareness tells them that they don't have the capacity or the desire or the capital or the risk tolerance to do what you did. It's a bridge too far. So the opportunity to tuck into a brand to help you have a seat at the table to brand Opal is a real opportunity, both for sellers and buyers. 100% absolutely correct. And also, you know, acknowledging that I, there is not a, a week that goes by that I, I don't talk to an advisor. And many of those conversations are advisors that were interested in going independent, didn't really know what it meant. And then through the discovery process, right, I, I, I feel like this world is a world of coopetition, not competition, right? Um, I think as the industry grows, as the RIA industry grows, it's better for all of us. Um, so there is not a week that goes by that I don't talk to an advisor who's in one stage of building their own firm or just launched, trying to deal with some of the issues that we've dealt with over the last year and sharing with them, here's what we did. Here's how we, we dealt with it. I'm talking to three advisors right now who are in the process of building their own firms. I have no qualms about sharing my thoughts on technology and service providers and consultants. Um, I've pushed a number of advisors to Dynasty, right? I've said, hey guys, based on everything you've told me, you, you want to be a great practitioner, you want to be an entrepreneur, but you don't want to do all this stuff, go talk to them. You know, I've pushed a number of advisors to Schwab. Um, so I think, you know, I think it's my responsibility to share this information. And I think there are, there are a lot of advisors, just from my experience, that do want to join firms like Opal, and we are open for business. We are definitely interested. Yeah. And it's generous of you to be, you're an ambassador for the space. You've done it. You've made your mistakes. You've had your, you know, your learning experiences and to pay it forward is a wonderful thing. One last question. Any advice for, so if I'm a wirehouse advisor, and I'm seated at any or any an employee of any traditional firm. Is there anything that you would want me to know that we haven't talked about? Anything that you wish you'd do differently? Any advice? Hmm. Good question. We talked about a lot. Do your research. You know, uncover every stone. Be true to thyself. You know, we talked about that earlier. Really look at yourself in the mirror and understand what your capabilities are, what your appetite. Uh, this is not launching your own business, any business, let's, but I'm talking about this business now, is not for the faint of heart. It is a misconception that you're going to launch your business, you're going to make 50% more money, you're going to do the same amount of work, and everything is going to be hokey-dory. I mean, it happens. I've heard the stories of the one guy who, who opens an office, he has one admin, he manages a billion dollars, and life is great. I mean, that I guess that that does happen. There are people out there. But to open up a business, uh, understand there is a reason that you're going to earn more profit. It's because you're going to put the work into it. And realize that there are lots of decisions that you're going to have to make, either you or your partners. That's important. And then something also equally, equally as important, um, something that came to bear with my partners and I. If you're in a wirehouse and you have a quote unquote partner or partners, um, at a wirehouse, you are partners in a practice, right? Now, partners in the true sense of partnership, which is actually writing a check, contributing capital to the business, signing a lease, being responsible for loans, very different sense of partnership. 
Um, I think, you know, you have to look at roles, responsibilities, decision-making process. Um, if you have three partners, nothing would get done if all three had to agree to it. Crafting those roles, responsibilities, decision-making processes, um, having a true operating agreement, not the operating agreement that when you open an LLC, the lawyer gives you and it's just boilerplate. You know, really thinking about succession, um, thinking about what happens if something happens to one of you, thinking about how are you going to grow? How does that growth affect the partnership? And then once you launch, you create a new relationship with your partners, right? The relationship I have with my two partners now is very different than the relationship I had with them at Morgan Stanley. Very different because we are partners in the truest sense. We have responsibilities and we share risks. You know, if I mean, if, if uh, this recession continued for a year, it's possible we're writing checks and putting capital into the business. I don't know. So the relationship, you, what an advisor will see is be ready to redefine your relationship with your coworkers and your new partners. Right. And the more work you do and the more open you are in the initial process when you're creating the business, the better off it will be when you launch your business. Yeah. Thank you for that. Lee, thank you for that advice. Thank you for being so incredibly generous with your time. Again, especially at a time where your clients need you and you're incredibly busy. We're grateful. We wish you and Opal nothing but great success and look forward to talking to you again in the future. Oh, great. Thank you, Mindy. You too. Stay safe. What did they say? Socially distance and wash your hands. Right? <laughs> Good advice. Thank you. honesty and transparency about the breakaway journey was both refreshing and welcome. Opal Wealth is in their early days, but it sounds like they're weathering this storm well, and we expect great things from them in the future. I thank you for listening, and I encourage you to visit our website, diamond-consultants.com, and click on the tools and resources link for valuable content. You'll also find a link to subscribe for regular updates to the series. And if you're not a recipient of our weekly email, Perspectives for Advisors, click on the blog link to browse recent articles. These written pieces are an ideal way to stay informed about what's going on in the wealth management space without expending the energy that full-on exploration can require. Feel free to email or call me if you have specific questions. I can be reached at 908-879-1002. And these days, by cell, 973-476-8578, or by email at mdiamond at diamond-consultants.com. Please note that all requests are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. And again, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a colleague who might benefit from its content. And a special thanks to Advisor Hub, for sharing this podcast with their viewers and subscribers. This is Mindy Diamond on Independence. Independence.